welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hey friends, okay, gather around, gather around. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Does anybody remember that song from camp? Thank you, yes, yes! I was hoping somebody might finish that off for me, because then I wouldn't have to do it. Uh, okay, so um, we have been talking uh, uh, about the church uh, the last couple of weeks, and the Spirit of God in particular. We have been studying this, ser- or in this series called Eat This Book, so we've started in Genesis. We're now midway through the, the New Testament uh, in the book of Acts, midway-ish. Um, and um, so we're going to get into that, but before I do, I'll say this. There are a couple of important things that have happened in the life of our community lately. One has to do with this charter document. Um, if you weren't here last week and didn't have an opportunity to sign that, uh, this is just essentially a, a way for us to gather those who have been a part of this journey and who want to say, um, at this point, based on where Awaken's going, um, I'm all in. Um, that's actually hanging over here by the coffee. If you didn't get a chance to sign it and want to, please do so. If you wanted to just check that out, um, made by a, an artist in our community and will be uh, displayed and hung in our kids' space forever and ever, amen, until the Lord comes home and, or... or uh, yeah, I guess till the Lord comes home, right? Um, so here's a picture of this last Friday night. This signing of this had to do with, um, this is the annual meeting of the Northwest Conference uh, of the denomination that we're a part of, which is called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And so each year, uh, new churches that have been planted that are being welcomed into the congregation um, are invited to come. And so a host of you showed up. I think the people that were there were kind of shocked by the number of awakened peeps representing. So it was, it was quite a large crew of folks. We couldn't fit everybody uh, in the front there. And so we gave a birth certificate to the church that planted us, uh, which was Berean Baptist, as a way of saying um, we want to recognize the faithfulness that you've displayed in the last three years, getting behind Awaken, and for crying out loud, let's be honest, getting behind me, that's a shifty little gig. Um, And they have just been wonderful parents to us, and so we presented them with a birth certificate, and actually they get a tree So, like it or not, there's going to be a tree uh, on the property at Berean that will be planted as a way of reminding them uh, that this is something that's bearing fruit, that you all, that we, this community, is bearing fruit for the kingdom. So, really exciting stuff. Um, So, that's one part of the last week. Another part that I want to just share with you, I get the opportunity on your behalf to go to lots of different places. Uh, Last Sunday, I flew out to California, or not California, Orlando, Florida, the other coast, And uh, I got to be a part of, uh, it's called Exponential. It's the world's largest gathering of church planters, um, which was great uh, in and of itself. Right before that, what I really want to share, right before that, um, the Covenant actually gathered uh, as many church planters as they could for a pre-conference get-together of Covenant church planters. And um, I just want to let you guys know that a way... um, Awaken is a part of something. Awaken is a part of a movement. Awaken is a part of um, something that the Spirit of God is doing in the church that is just dynamite. So amazing to hear the stories of how God is working. Um, I walked in this room. There were probably 50 or 55 or so people. And as a white male, I was the minority in the room. Come on now. Which is not normal for us white men. Uh, And it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. There were uh, Hispanic 
church planters and African-American church planters and Asian. And it was literally like the people kept looking in our room and they were kind of like, what is happening here? Like, is this a United Nations gathering? No, it's covenant church planting at its finest. And so I got to hear of just unbelievable stories of how God is using gifted men and women. uh, And we're a part of that. We support, we give money every month that comes in to new churches being planted. And so I just want to report back to you, like God's doing amazing things uh, for the kingdom, and you are a part of that. Um, So thank you, number one. Um, I'll share one brief story. This guy in Detroit, his name was, uh, oh gosh, Samil. (laughs) Samil is about a 300-pound African-American guy who has planted a church in like the hood in Detroit. Um, everybody thinks Detroit is like uh, sort of a desert of life. Um, like people are moving out of Detroit faster than you can say. God is doing incredible things in the city of Detroit through a number of church planters, one of them being Samil. So Samil gets up there and he was just giving testimony to um, his experience as a covenant church planter. And so he says, you know, man, and I, I, have, a, I have more soul in me than you might think. I went to St. Paul Central and had a very awesome experience there. So Samil's like, man, I've been to all kinds of church plant things. I've been to the Baptist thing. I've been to the Episcopal thing. I've been to all these things. I go to these things and nobody sees me. Nobody says anything. I just stand there. I'm 300 pounds. How do you not see me? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was awesome. It was hilarious. So Samuel giving testimony to the fact that uh, the covenant has planted a... Did you know that nationally... 87% 87% of the plants that the, the covenant is involved in are uh, like thriving, successful church plants. That is like hands, it's, it's double what the national average is of church plants in general. One, usually it's one in two make it after like three years. And so uh, just a lot of really good things happening. And I'm really excited about that because we're a part of it. I'm, we're a church plant. We're not going to be any, in a little bit, but we were. And we are. Are you guys ready to study Acts chapter 16? Okay. So in order to at, look at Acts chapter 16, which is a very interesting little um, uh, episode in Paul's life. Paul finds himself in this new city. Then they get thrown in jail. If you remember this story, they're thrown in jail and the earth, there's an earthquake and the, the bars at, in the jail um, come free and the, the, uh, the, the guard actually thinks that all the prisoners have escaped and he's going to end his life. And Paul's like, no, 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 we're all still here. They're just like singing and you know, doing what they do. And, uh, and then this jailer actually becomes a believer. But in order to understand Acts chapter 16, we have to go back because it's a part of a long story or a, a beautiful story that I want to just tease out a couple of things from. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would. We'll turn there first. And it says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme uh, Extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. I lost my place. Uh, Urgently pleaded with us. For the, privilege of, uh, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So a little bit of background for 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's been sent out by a church in Jerusalem. If you remember the Jesus event, it happens in Jerusalem. And from there, these sort of like um, 
uh, pulses of the kingdom of God move out into the Gentile world that, uh, that they knew of at that point. So Jerusalem sends out uh, Paul, and Paul goes around in this particular passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and, and a few other spots. He's going around to all the churches that he started. So Corinth, uh, Philippi, Antioch, Galatia, and he's going to each of those churches and asking that they might give an offering, that they might be a part of a need or meeting a need that, that, that's uh, present in Jerusalem where they've kind of come from. So he goes to Corinth and he says, and he does so by citing this extraordinary act of generosity by this small little church in Macedonia and Philippi. He says, out of their poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. They pleaded with us, don't don't let us, uh, don't keep us out of this opportunity to give to this little church, in, to the church in Jerusalem. So Paul cites this example of extreme generosity in Corinth to try to get them to be a part of what he's doing or this offering he's taking back to Jerusalem. So question, where does the church from Philippi start? Where does the church in Macedonia come from? Go back to Acts chapter 13 and we'll pick up the story midway through this, the book of Acts and Acts 13, verses 1 to 3 says this, Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, also known as Paul. While they were worshiping, so the church in Antioch is worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them out. So Paul and Barnabas, two people in Antioch who helped plant this church. A little bit of background on Acts. The church in Jerusalem sends out Barnabas in chapter 11 to start this church in Antioch. He grabs Paul and brings him with him. They spend two years there investing and living into and speaking and teaching and testifying to to the Christ event, to the resurrection of Jesus. The church at Antioch is worshiping and they sense the spirit moving. They sense the spirit inviting them to step out in faith and do something and send Paul and Barnabas, these two influential people in their group, in their church plant, and they set them apart. They pray and they fast. They set them apart and they send them out. Now, Paul uh, um, grabs Barnab- or Barnabas grabs Paul, they send him out, and they, they, they have a small or a disagreement in uh, like chapter 14 about how to treat John Mark. Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes the other, and Paul ends up going to Macedonia. This is where the church from Macedonia and Philippi comes in. Look at verse uh, 6 of chapter 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that, the, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's what happens in Macedonia. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a businesswoman. 
She was a worshiper of God, which essentially means she's a Gentile who knows of the, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and, has, and goes to the temple essentially to worship this God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And so they did. She persuaded us. The next section is the, the, the Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. The jail breaks free. The jailer comes to know Jesus and presumably ends up at this little spiritual collective that started in Philippi. Verse 40, the last verse in this chapter says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. So Philippi, the church in Macedonia, becomes the church, this little church with Lydia at the center, the, the, the sort of the uh, matriarch of the church of Philippi is this woman named Lydia. Come on, ladies. It's built on her. She's at the center of the leadership crew. This church becomes the church that Paul writes the letter to Philippians to. This church becomes the church that ends up sending money and an offering back to Jerusalem that we read in 2 Corinthians 8. This church was a church plant. It started out as a church plant. Paul, being led by the Spirit, goes to Macedonia. He gets out. He starts meeting with people. They start to gather. People start to hear the gospel. They start to follow Jesus, and a little collective of spiritual journeymen and women start to gather at a place called the Joke Joint. Oh, excuse me, sorry. (laughs) I was fascinated as I read this and struck by the fact that the church in Philippi was a church plant. It started with one person who had this crazy idea, this crazy dream, this sense that God was calling them to go out and to testify to the good news about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And lo and behold, the Spirit's at work, and this church grows and grows, and it becomes the church that we read about in the Scriptures. So I want to offer a couple of thoughts to you this morning. After being with my friends this last week, and after reading and thinking and really praying about you know, this kind of event that we were able to have of being you know, three years into this, and kind of a major milestone for us as a church plant, I want to offer two observations, and really it's more about what the Spirit, I feel like, is leading and stirring in me. So first is this. I'm struck by the the fact that the Spirit of God is birthing new things, and it's it's, it's a result of the Spirit's work in the world. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 2. This is the sending of the Spirit to the church, which is then sent out into the world. And as a result of the Spirit being a part of the church, things are happening. We talked about the fact that when the Spirit of God is present, transformation happens, healing happens, new things are born, life grows, and things grow. I challenge us to think about and ask the question, how much do we expect God to do anything? When we come and we gather on Sundays, is there any sort of expectation that God wants to do something maybe beyond what we could even fathom in our minds? Maybe beyond what we would even call normal? Maybe even miraculous? Is there any kind of expectation that we have of God to do that? Because, friends, if you read the text and if you look at it honestly, this is what the Spirit does all throughout Acts. Miraculous, amazing, unbelievable things where healing and thriving and life and transformation is happening. Do we have that expectation at Awaken? Are our dreams too small? My friend Juan Lopez, he he, uh, started a church on Lake Street. Juan says we go to people on Lake Street who are drunk or drug addicted or in prostitution and we ask them one question. He says, are you tired? 
Are you tired of this? And if they say no, then we move on. If they say yes, we take them in. They've started a house of mercy in Richfield where they have up to 40 men, and uh, at this point it's just a men's house, but up to 40 men in like a three-bedroom home that they are, listen, listen to this. Guys who were literally two and a half years ago drunk in the gutter on Lake Street who have, been, who have found Christ, who are being discipled, and who are now becoming church planters and they're sending out to, to new works of God in the world. This is incredible. And Juan's up there telling all these stories and everybody in the room is just kind of like, this guy is legit. I mean, he's the real deal. Somebody gets up afterwards and like, you know, Juan's got a particular calling to these folks and it's not everybody's calling. And I wanted you to stop and say, I think Juan's the only one in the room that's got the guts to do what Jesus has access to do. But I didn't. Maybe I should have. The Spirit of God is doing unbelievable things. And so I guess I want to ask the question, And I'll own this, gang. For me, when we first jumped out and we decided to do this, I was just hoping and praying that we wouldn't die on the vine. I was hoping and praying that we wouldn't like miserably fail. I was hoping and praying that we would, and if we did, we'd at least go out swinging. That was how I approached this at the beginning. And it was kind of like, God, if you don't show up and if you don't do something, if I step out in faith and you don't join me on this one, like we're, we're through. And that's where I started from. And then God is challenging me to, and asking, Micah, why wouldn't I want to use this church, this group of people, to change the landscape of the spiritual heart and, and uh, awaken something in this city? Why wouldn't I want to do that? Why not you? And, and, and why would this church be the last link of people who have stepped out in faith and trusted that God might do something beyond us and send people out to new works of God in the world. May it be that we are not the last link. So I guess I want to invite you into this process that I'm being totally convicted by, where God is saying, you are, your dreams aren't big enough. Like, if it's just awakened, like, making it at the joke joint and, you know, being able to, like, pay your salary, that is so Dumb. And so myopic. Amen? Like so small. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm like energized and, and really being pulled and called into this. Like, God, what, what would it be? What could it look like? Where? Is it possible that the, that the person who we might bless and send out and train and encourage and equip is sitting in this room today? Because that's how it happens. People sense God's spirit moving and they stand up and they say, oh my God, if you don't follow me or lead me on this one, we're sunk. Yes, let's live there. Let's live there. Where if God doesn't show up, we're totally hosed. Because otherwise it's just kind of boring. You know, we come, we do this, you know, I entertain you and you go home. Man, I thought about taking this and throwing it over there and then the, saw the wine, Jesus' blood and the body and I was like, I'm going to just hold off on that. <laughs> Second observation, missional. Paul is living on 
mission. We have these words up here that we say we value. One of them is missional. If you type it in your computer, it still gets spelled checked. So here's how we define it. Missional is to understand that the God of the Bible is a God who sends. God sends Abraham. God sends Israel. God sends Jesus. God sends the Spirit. God sends the church into the world for the purpose of not providing religious services and goods to people, but for partnering with the spirit of the living God, which is alive and active in the world, working out transformation and redemption and reconciliation and restoration. This is the mission of God, the missio Dei. It's what God's been up to since Genesis 3. To be missional is for a church to understand this is where we come from. This is where we begin. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist because we have been... We have been called, we have been graced, we have been invited by the, the God of the universe to partner in this ongoing work of restoration and redemption. I don't know why, but that's, how it's, that's what's happened. So to be missional is to understand that. Paul goes into a city, and where does he go? Not to the synagogue, but rather to the places where the people are. He finds himself outside of the city gate at a river where there's a, a local gathering of people. And he begins to, to speak and he begins to build relationships and he begins to share, testify, to give reason for the hope that he has in Jesus. And what happens? Lo and behold, the Spirit of God is out in front of him at work because that's what the Spirit does. And people begin to start following Jesus. And then a church begins. Let me say it this way. You're best where you are. You're best where you are. How do you know what love is? When I say, what is love? Does this happen to you? The words, the letters L-O-V-E appear in your mind's eye and then words with a definition behind it. This is what love is. I'm guessing probably not. Rather, maybe like a face of somebody shows up. You know what love is because somebody embodied it. You know what love is because somebody incarnated the word. How do you know what forgiveness is? Is it F-O-R-G-I-V? No, it's, it's a person because somebody forgave you. Truth things that we know to be true about the world and the universe and God and us become real to us when they're incarnated and embodied. This is why I believe and why it's so important that Jesus becomes human and incarnates the love of God and shows us this is what God looks like. If you want to know, it looks like Jesus. So truth and the gospel is best when it's incarnated and embodied. Words just floating around from Talking heads don't actually help. But rather, when the church embodies the gospel and lives out the gospel with their lives and their words, it's incarnated and things happen. You're best where you are. Now, if anyone's sitting here thinking to themselves, hmm, let me tease this out a little. If you put a map of St. Paul and Minneapolis up on the stage, you would find that Awaken draws from a very, very large swath of the, of the Twin Cities. We have people coming from Farmington, from Woodbury, Woodbury, uh, Edina, Chanhassen. We have people coming from all over the place. If it's true that the, that, that the gospel is best when it's embodied and incarnated, we have two options. Either number one, we extract you all from your neighborhoods and we have you come and serve and do things around here, which truthfully we all know doesn't work, right? Because you'd actually have to move into the neighborhood. John chapter one, Jesus be dwelled among us, moved into the neighborhood. It, we all know that it doesn't work when people from the outside come in and serve and then leave and go back to the comforts of their homes, correct? 
That's called inauthentic and really, really bad missiology, if I could be so theological. So either we extract you from your neighborhoods and you all move here, and we just like invade Garlow Elementary, or, or, which would be kind of cool, or we deploy you where you are into the networks and the relationships and the jobs and the families and the sports teams and the mom's groups and the prayer groups down by the river. We deploy you where you are because you're best where you are. We have got to stop extracting people from their neighborhoods to come and do this. <laughs> people don't change by doing this more. They change by being out on the front edge of it where you, where you have to say to yourself, God, if you don't show up, I am sunk. That's where transformation happens for you all and for me. Not doing more of this. We don't, I, I would argue you don't need more Bible study. What you need is to be actively living out the life of faith that Jesus has called you to with study of scriptures, gathering of the people, but primarily that's where transformation takes place. So if you're wondering, why am I not changing? Why am I not feeling this? Why don't I feel the Spirit's presence? I would submit to you that the possible answer to that question is because you're doing this too much and not that too much, not, not enough. So either we extract you, I think that's a bad idea, or we deploy you where you are to be on mission in the world, partnered with the Spirit. What would it look like for all the people in the west side over here to say, what is God up to in our neighborhood, and how do we get involved? I have a feeling Garlow has a pulse. We have seen God's Spirit active there, and we've seen, we've seen these are people of peace, right? These are people who are not, at least now, they're not antagonistic towards us anymore, they're not shutting us out. They're welcoming us. They're asking us to participate. These are people of peace. What would it look, there's a group of you who live in the South Metro. What would it look like for you to gather around your neighborhood down there and say, what's God up to in this area and how do we get involved? For those of you that live in the city in St. Paul, Minneapolis, there are collections of you. What would it look like? You're best where you are. Have you ever seen the movie Inception? They plant ideas in people's heads so that they think they're their own. You're being incepted. <laughs> One of these mornings you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, oh man, that thing that I'm a part of, what if I, what if I like saw myself as one sent on mission in the world for the sake of the kingdom? What if I, I could like do that there? Micah! I went to this thing, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Where'd you get that idea? <laughs> Gang, my hope and my prayer for you and for this community is, number one, that our dreams would not be too small, that we would dream big dreams. Juan says every church planter should have goals, but you have to have dreams where only God can make it happen. And I wonder if, if, if I have sold us short. I'll be honest, and I'll confess. Like, Father, forgive me for selling us short. And two, what does it mean for you as a follower of Jesus to be on mission in the world, partnered with the Spirit of God, at work in the world, to do and be a part of the redemption of all, God, of, all of God's creation? Who will say yes to Jesus? If you're not interested in that, you should find another church. If you are, 
then get on board. Can I be any more clear? Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, moving on to communion. There's a guy named Mike Iaconelli. He was an old youth pastor. He died in a tragic car accident. He tells this story of uh, the lady who was supposed to be doing communion that morning um, just like could not find the bread. So he's up there doing communion as the pastor, you know, blessing the whole deal. And he pulls off the curtain and it's hot dog buns. And he's like, yep, if Jesus were here, he would use hot dog buns. Uh, We didn't get any bread today. And so we have animal crackers. Jesus said, let the children come unto me. (laughs) Unfortunately, we don't have any gluten-free options, so if that's you, you have to double up on the wine. Okay, in all seriousness, these elements are not holy. I have not consecrated them, I have not blessed them. Because Jesus took ordinary things, things that were a part of their everyday life. He said, bread and wine. And he said, this bread is my body and it's broken for you. And this cup is the cup of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new movement of God towards you. And when you eat of it and when you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Do it in celebration of what has been accomplished. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Become awakened to this reality and live in it. And so as you come this morning, would you be thinking about those things and would you consider as you come, Holy Spirit, what is next? What are you inviting us to? What are you calling us to? What are you inviting us to? As individuals and as a community of people who follow Jesus. Uh, I don't even think we have people who are serving communion. So if you are near and you want to serve communion, it's your lucky day. We need two at each station. There's three stations, one up here, two down here. Let me offer a word of prayer. I want to invite you to come. We'll sing a little uh, as we close, and we will remember and celebrate and commit ourselves to this work of God in the world. Pray with me. God, you are present here by your spirit, and we are awake to the degree that we can be. Would you move? Would you do something that none of us can conceive? Would you would you be so gracious as to use this community to tell the story of Jesus, of redemption and of forgiveness and of grace and of mercy, which we find at the cross and in your resurrection. Would you empower us by your spirit to move into the neighborhoods and the networks and the people as people who are sent on mission to make a difference, not because of our efforts, but because of the Spirit empowering us. And would you do amazing things? Would you even burden and call individuals here this morning to steps of faith? I pray and ask this in your name. Amen. Find us online at www. 
at awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.